What a joy to be back with you. And it seems like a blur, you know, a year has come and gone so fast. It's just amazing. And uh, here we are again. I'm really trusting God for impartation and activation in every one of these meetings. Um, I've just come from 13 meetings in Connecticut, doing morning and night meetings, a big church. I laid hands on about 350 people a night, just seeing great impartation, especially the young people, young adults who are getting hit, great outbreaks of joy, laughter, freedom, infillings of the Spirit. So I am coming, riding a good wave and believing for an impartation with you this week as well. Um, I love these leadership sessions, firstly because we eat such good food. <laughs> and you are correct, brother, those enchiladas, they had more written all over them. But I've always tried to set a good example for Pastor Rick, so I just, I just um, held back. <laughs> I, I didn't have my wife here looking at me, but I had Pastor Rick in the shadows, so I didn't want to set a bad example. <laughs> yeah, thank you to those that catered for us. It was amazing. The food, the rice, the beans, the enchiladas, the banana, I don't know what you call it, cream pie. Yeah, banana pudding, all excellent. This year has been a big year for me in terms of the ministry. Firstly, thank you for praying for us in Florida. Um, the hurricane missed Tampa, thank God, because it was coming right at us. And where they projected the eye, it was going to come right over my house. I mean, it would have been literally coming up the 75, and I'm just a couple of hundred yards off the 75, so it would have been right in our alley. I'm really sorry it hit Naples and uh, all the way through to Sarasota. We did get 70-mile-hour um, winds, which is not too shabby. But our house stood, and there was no damage. There were some power outages and flooding in Tampa. But from Sarasota all the way through to Naples was really, really bad. My son left um, for Fort Myers when the wind was still 70 miles an hour. He was being blown off the road. But he was the first responder in that he knows of. And we went straight in with food. Since then to today... We've um, purchased five semis of food and water and dropped it off, supplying people. So God has been good, and we've made a difference. We've, we've used our faith, my partnership base, to go in and make a difference, and I'm so grateful. What, what really is, you know how things just always come together. I led a man and his wife to the Lord about 30 years ago in my meetings in Illinois, and I saw the call of God on his life, and eventually I helped him plant a church, and, uh, but he always wanted to move to Florida, so I helped him transition his church. In fact, his church 
was added to one of my other churches in Illinois. And I helped him plant a church in Sarasota. And his church is different. They, when they were first saved, they, and they both come from very wealthy backgrounds, but they have a lot of compassion, and their ministry was by and large on the street, feeding people, ministering. But they had a good, vibrant church. He's a good musician, so they have a good congregation, but it's always been a ministry of compassion, which I like because that was the apostolic mandate when Paul came to the apostles in Jerusalem. He said, remember the poor. And, and so that has always struck with me, compassion. And even Jesus, the gospel is to the poor. And so we have this obligation. And um, his ministry, the church, I would say that they've got is about the size of this this part of your church, but equal to this is all storage for food. So I knew he had lots of food. I said, I want to buy all that you've got and more because he has access to food banks. And I got food for pennies on the dollar. And uh, so it's just been a miracle how we've done it, you know, just the favor of God. And we're just getting, like I say, semis full. We have to actually rent a a, um, a forklift to unload and then crate and package and deliver. And FEMA set up in a place called Northport. When we got to Northport, it was so bad, we were delivering food in canoes and water. And people were weeping because they were stranded that we came and, and gave them non-perishable foods and water and came back every day giving them more. But what happened is FEMA has an office there where people can lodge their, their claims and their, FEMA's water was bad. It must have been from some past disaster that they stored and it just got too old. So when their water was bad, they dumped it, and they had no water for the people. Guess who showed up? And they allowed us to set up right outside FEMA. And so we've had great favor into the area. Just little miracles and coincidences and connections has all just been tremendous. Um, So we've done a great work there. But the big thing for this year has been leadership training. That's where I was going here is leadership training. Um, When COVID hit and we had those times where I couldn't travel, three months I didn't travel, I wrote what I call the spiritual leadership training program, which is 2,000 pages of notes, which if you print it, Um, it's probably about that much notes. It's a 50-week program with video. So every week they get a video. They get somewhere between 30 pages to 70 pages, self-assessment, fireside chat, and then mentor sessions with me. Right now I'm training 160 pastors, evangelists, and leaders and just upping their leadership because I really feel, and this is where it's going to come to you, The only way we can really effectively change the church 
and I, I'm not talking about change for the sake of change, but the realignment to where we need to be to win this generation can only come from leaders. Leaders lead, the people follow. If leaders don't lead, there's nothing going to happen. And so, and I've done this now for 30 odd years in, in America as I've traveled and the world. But when I do a series of meetings, I always want to meet with the leadership. Hence, we've done that from the first time I was here to this time. And, and I trust that you will find as leaders an enlargement in your capacity for the calling and the promotion that is upon your life. That you'll feel a sense of purpose, passion, and uh, commitment to the cause that God has called you to. I want to start with a well-known portion of Scripture, Acts 13, verse 22. And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, King Saul, he raised up for them, Israel, David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now you all know that the prophet was sent, fill the horn with oil, which is where we're going to go this week. So this isn't just called leadership. This is called and anointed leadership. And this week we're focusing on fresh oil. We're talking about the horn of oil being poured upon your life. That you're not just a leader, but you're a spiritual leader. You're not just a spiritual leader, you're a sacrificial leader. You're not just a sacrificial leader, you're a selfless leader. You're skilled, you're sensitive, but you are anointed of God. I wish I had an S for anointed. I couldn't find a word. <laughs> but you are anointed. What stands out to me right up front is that God found David. And I wanted to say this to you, that God has found you. His eyes, the Bible says, run to and fro throughout all the earth. And he's looking for a loyal heart. I also believe that loyal heart is a broken heart. Not broken as in ruin broken, but a broken and a contrite heart, a humble heart, a surrendered heart, a healed heart. So loyalty is born from that brokenness, that utter dependency upon him who is our ability, our creativity. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. If we have been deemed to be loyal, if we have been deemed to be faithful and, and he has promoted us, we certainly cannot boast in ourselves. It is by grace. And if we do have any boast, it is in the goodness of God that rescued us, saved us, called us. But then we weren't passive. Every one of you, because you're in this room, you were not a passive spectator. You got your hands dirty. You were in boots and all. You gave yourself. Hence, you are here today. Your promotion doesn't just come from Pastor Rick and from the eldership, but it comes from God himself. 
just like God recognized David, he recognized you. And you are in this room today because his eye fell upon you and he found your life pleasing. And he promoted you. Promotion comes from the Lord. It is he who has called you. It is he who has invited you to respond to his call. The calling is a fabulous thing. With the call comes a tear-off section. You know when you get a wedding invitation, there is a tear-off section where you RSVP. God will give you the invitation, but you have to tear off and get into agreement and say, I will become a part of what you're doing. And yes, my logic, when God calls you, when God anoints you, it's because he found you faithful, loyal, broken, healed, open. But that's not your point of, of arrival. That's your point of departure. Now you've reached a place where your life can become fruitful, where your life can make a difference. Leaders make a difference in their society. David made a difference to his generation. And here you are, selected by God, chosen by God to be here right now, right here as a part of the leadership team within this church. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a bondservant, as you know, that is our attitude of humility. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called, that's that invitation that came to you, to be an apostle. Now, certainly there are not many apostles, not all are prophets, not all are pastors, teachers, evangelists, but you are uniquely called. So where Paul writes he's an apostle, just put your calling, your distinctive gifting and operation there. So you could put your name where it says Paul, your attitudes as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called, invitation, I responded, RSVP, yes to his, yes to me. To be a missionary, teacher, pastor, deacon, elder, whatever your position, separated from sin and the aimless pursuits that entangle and occupy the average church member. We are different. Being a leader takes time, as you know. Being a leader requires engagement, involvement, commitment. Where the average church member, they are not in this room because they haven't paid the price that you have paid to be here. They can, and my trust, as you know, my discipleship strategy is believer, member, minister, leader, reproducer, world changer. I want every believer to be a world changer. Everyone that I minister to, I'm trying to put a demand upon their spirit to arise from being a believer to a loyal, committed, faithful member 
to being a fully engaged, passionate minister of the gospel, intercession, prayer, giving, service, and then activating their life, training them to be a leader, leadership, not always position, but always influence. And if we could create a generation of leaders who will then go one step further to become reproducers, that's where you start to see exponential growth. And that's where we will change our world. I have been committed to raise up a world-changing people. I don't want a million graduates. I want a million world changers. That their world, which may not be a big world, but their world, even if it's five people, 10 people, 20, 50, 100, that world will feel the impact of the glory of God on their life. The impact of the gospel through their life. That in that world, they will be the light of the world. In that place, they will be the salt of the earth. In that place and people, they will be God's ambassadors, carriers of the good news. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news that in that place, their feet will be put down to possess that land just like Joshua possessed the land they would possess the land that he has given and allocated to them to make a difference. And I found this, that if we could raise up faithful people with little, then that territory continues to expand. If you as a leader can be faithful with five, he will not only give you ten, but he'll give you the ability for the ten, the grace for the ten. And then if you're faithful with the 10, he'll give you the grace and the ability and the creativity for the 50, for the hundreds, for the thousands. It's just the way it works. It's kind of like my story. I had my first Bible school, my second, my third, my fourth, my hundredth, my thousands, my 2,000, 3,000. First language, second language, seven language, eight languages now going into 15 by the end of this year. Hallelujah. But you've got to start somewhere. One soul, 100, 1,000. You've got to start somewhere. Start here, start today, start now. You have been separated from not only sin, but the aimless pursuits that don't count for eternity. As leaders, we're not engaged in these temple things. We're not wrapped in the affairs of everyday life. We're engaged with passion because we love Him, because we love God's people, because we love the church. We're going to make a difference in the church. It goes without saying. We are not just leaders, but we are servant leaders. We are spiritual leaders, sacrificial, selfless, skilled. These are essentials. In Romans chapter 1, now we go down to verses 5 and 6. Through Him, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship, or whatever ministry you have, 
for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says. He's saying, just like we, the apostolic team, have been called, and we must be obedient to the faith, to the nations, now he's speaking to the Romans. He says, you also are the called of Jesus. By the grace of God, I'm going into my 50th year of full-time ministry. It's quite a while. Not bad. But here's the thing. I have done my work, run my race. I'm engaged. I'm fully committed. I'm still strong. I'm going to keep going. But you are just as called. Just not to... 50 nations, five continents. You understand? But you are no less called than me or Pastor Rick. You are just as called and just as gifted, but in a different way. And the absence of your gift and the absence of your leadership will have a detrimental effect upon the church just as the engagement and the involvement and the activation and the mobilization of your life will make a positive impact upon the church. What you're doing as leaders will count for your reward, yes, but beyond for your reward. It will count for the state of the church. It will make a difference in the church. <clears throat> you have been given a position in this leadership team. And I love what Paul writes to Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, which is for you tonight. But you, each one, just say me, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You have a ministry. You may not be gifted as an evangelist, but do the work. Always be on the lookout for souls. I think a heart that is always conscious of reaching the lost is a very pure heart. Because one of the things I've learned when people get into church leadership, that somehow they lose their focus on the lost. We can never allow that to happen. Somehow in the busyness of our praying, our teaching, our discipling, our caring, the decision-making processes that we're involved in, we must leave some space in our lives to do the work of an evangelist. It keeps us sharp. The other day, I had to share the gospel with someone. I just had one of those open doors, and I began to speak and I became very conscious that I'd been in the ministry way too long. My language 
was laden with theological accuracy and truth, but I was totally irrelevant to that seeking soul. <laughs> and I realized I need to get out more because I travel so much. My day is so packed. And I do reach the lost, of course, in my meetings. Even last night, last night, I prayed for people to come to the Lord. But there's a big difference standing here, sharing in the corporate anointing, people coming under conviction, raise a hand, pray a prayer, than sharing one-on-one. -on -one. And I realized that to stay sharp, you've got to stay doing it. And so I'm going to give you some advice from my own experience, and that is you must do the work of an evangelist. Just look for one opportunity, even a month, to get out. I used to play golf. And my, my early days of playing golf is I've, I've said I'd never play golf. It's a waste of time. But I was running really hard in ministry. But my life was so isolated from the world because I was totally committed to the church, I decided I'm going to go play golf. Because here's how it goes down. You, I always go on my own. So I drive up to the golf course, I check in, and then they'll say, will you join this party of two or three or four? Because they want to get people out. Of, and the first thing people ask me is, guess what? What do you do? <laughs> Invariably, this is how it will go down. I'll smile at them and I'll, I'll say something like, I'm in sales. And they say, what do you sell? I say, actually, sales is a pathetic word. But I, I'm a communicator of a message. And people buy into what I'm saying. And they'll say, well, what is your message? I'll say, it's the gospel. <laughs> I'm a preacher. I'm a missionary. And then invariably, this is how it will go down. They'll say, oh, wow, please forgive me if I cuss. I'm going to try not to. <laughs> they'll immediately start apologizing. The next thing they'll do, they'll say, yeah, my mom used to pray for me. and take." They'll just start to unfold their lives. And by the, somewhere in the game, they're asking me questions, and I'm giving it. So for me, it was the one way that I could just touch someone every now and again that was outside the kingdom. Not in my meetings, but outside in the kingdom. On the plane, because most of my flights, I'm in first class. Now, when you travel as much as I do, here's just an idea. By May... I was a diamond. To be a diamond, you've got to spend about $25,000 on air tickets. I don't buy first class. I buy coach. I buy the cheapest ticket. But that's how much I fly. Well, of course, prices have gone up astronomically as well due to our fuel crisis right here in Texas. And I'm talking about fuel crisis, which is rather sickening, isn't it? But be that as it may, well, it pushed up the air tickets. By May, I was a diamond. By December, I'll be a double diamond this year. But here's the problem when I get on the plane. 
most of the people I sit next to are professional travelers. Professional travelers do not engage. You get on, they typically got their headphones on, they're in their laptop, and you typically nod your head in a greeting, and you nod your head when you get off the plane. Every now and again, someone will be talkative, and I'll take the gap. But I'd, it's just kind of the unwritten law in business class. You don't communicate unless someone opens the door and you engage. So I don't get a lot of time in the airports or on planes as people would think because of the culture of travelers. But I do if the opportunity, and I've had plenty of those times to lead someone to the Lord on the plane. But the point that I want to make is your service is not just to the church. Your service is to your community, and you need to find ways to get the gospel out. The church should not grow from a shifting Christian community. It should grow because we reach the lost, we disciple the found, and in that way we will grow the church. And so as leaders, I want to challenge you, I want to inspire you, I want to throw out some ideas for you to think about, pray about, and say, God, if I'm to do the work of the evangelist, give me some strategies. Who can I bump into? Who can I meet? Who can I communicate with? Because you've all been Christians for so long. Everyone close to you already knows the gospel, am I right? Your family knows, your relatives know. And they either love you or hate you by this time. <laughs> so you've got to create a new circle to share the gospel with. I recommend even to pastors, find one day a month to get out somewhere to go and reach the lost. Just to keep your edge. You know how you, you can get blunt I recognized I was blunt the other day as I was speaking, sharing the gospel. And, and I'm always calling people to be evangelists, to be engaged in the gospel. In fact, my new book that's just come out is called How Beautiful Are the Feet. It's a call to get back to soul winning. And yet, here I am becoming blunt. I'm passionate, but my language has become so skilled in theological truths that I don't think the person even understood me. I just became acutely aware. Do the work of an evangelist. And here it is. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. If you don't fulfill your ministry, here's a little added challenge. If you don't fulfill your ministry, you can't blame the devil. You can't blame the lack of time, the lack of opportunity. You can't blame the pastor. You can't blame the political climate. You have to take personal responsibility for your ministry. You've heard me say this, I'm sure, because I say it a lot. And that is you are the custodian of the fireplace of your heart. As leaders, you're also the custodians of the fireplace of the church where you are promoted, where you share. So you have to take not only personal responsibility, but corporate responsibility. 
personal responsibility for your heart because out of the heart come the issues of life, but also you've got to somewhat take responsibility for the spiritual climate of your church because you leaders, you got to pray, you got to set the standards of excellence, friendliness, compassion, all these things come from the leaders. It's not going to come from the people. It's going to come from the leaders. Is this too heavy for you? So when he says fulfill your ministry, there is a bit of a challenge to that. Because so many people neglect their ministry because of the busyness of life. Because of the stuff that happens around us that is not always demonic, but it's just their everyday affairs. But those affairs don't count for eternity. This spiritual leadership that you're involved in counts for eternity. It will count for your eternity. Not that you're saved by your leadership. You're saved by the grace of God. But it will count for reward. And it will count for their eternity because you could be that person that will make a difference in their heart. That will awaken them to the call of God. I just want to break down this verse. The first is, be watchful in all things. To be watchful means to be sober, self-contained, and like an athlete, harnessing your passion and potential for the glory of God. Just like a, an athlete has to watch their diet, their exercise, their routines. Why? Because they want to be the best. To be the best, they have to be watchful. If they neglect, they are not going to be at maximum performance. Am I right? Same in business. If you want to succeed in business, it's because you work hard, you're creative, you're creative, you take initiative. There are things that cause people to be successful, and there are things that if we neglect, cause failure. As a spiritual leader, you must be watchful. You've got to be sober, temperate, focused, disciplined to the call of God, keeping yourself under the control, your appetites under control, your nerves, your relationships, that you're not allowing stuff to discourage you and to pull you away from the call of God. Number two, in our breakdown, Paul says, endure afflictions. In other words, whatever suffering comes with the call of God, endure it. Don't feel sorry for yourself. As a leader, you will face pushback, criticism, possibly rejection, even persecution. More than the average believer, you will face it. Now, I will say this to the pastor, you will face more rejection than your leadership team. You will feel it a lot more. And we have to be watchful and endure these afflictions, the pain that comes with it. I did a ordination uh, three times this year in Canada. We've seen massive church growth, planting new churches um, out of the movement that I am 
that are launched in Canada. And we started with one church 20 years ago. We now have 26 churches, and I've just ordained, I think, another nine or ten pastors to go into different Canadian communities and two in the United States to plant new churches. One, incidentally, will be in Dallas. But here's the thing that I wanted to share. When we anoint them, we do a few things in the ordination, which I think is cool. The first thing I give them is a toilet brush. And I give them a Bible. Why? Because with the toilet brush, the heart of a servant and the Word of God will win the world. The second thing I do, which we are focusing on, is we put a robe on them, signifying separation, calling, and we anoint them with oil. Not just a little drop. I mean, we put a towel and we put oil on them. <laughs> the third thing that we do is we give them two things to eat. The first that we give them is honey. And I talk about the sweetness and the victories and the joys. And then I give them a lemon. <laughs> And I talk about the bitterness, the pain, the heartache, the brokenness that we'll face. Because we're not superficial when we deal with God's people. When they hurt, we hurt. When they rebel, it affects us. When they backslide, it affects us. When they're not on fire, it affects us. Uh, there is a bitter taste that comes with the sweet taste and the joy that comes in leadership, the pain in the offering, the pain in the leadership. And we need to endure that. There will be a price to pay because whenever leaders make a decision, people are going to resent where you want to go. And then there are those that will go with you and support you, but there will always be those one or two critics that is just enough to discourage and potentially to influence people that were on the brink of being persuaded to go in the right way to pull away. And so we've got to endure the afflictions that come with leadership. I've spoke about do the work of the evangelist and then lastly, fulfill your ministry. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Or another way of that one would be fulfill your ministry. Make sure that you fulfill your ministry. See to it. What does see to it mean? To be watchful, to be on the alert, to give attention to this divine task go back to what he said in 2 Timothy 4.5. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. The same thing. Fulfill your ministry. Be alert to it. Be a watchful. This is a divine task, position, promotion that has come to you. You have an obligation to do it in such a way that God finds pleasure in your service, in your leadership, in your ministry, fulfill your ministry. 
Let me pause there for a second or two. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Fulfill your ministry. Make your life count. Don't start strong and finish weak. Don't allow stuff to get in your heart that would embitter you, disappoint you, and pull you away from this holy core. Tomorrow morning I'm going to talk about the corporate anointing, the importance of church. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to be preaching to the choir I'm going to be preaching to people that are here. But here's the thing that God showed me. They're here today, but they could be gone tomorrow. I'm not preaching to the choir as if they permanently here. One decision, one thing going wrong in their life can make them absent for the next three months, six months, or for the rest of their life. The same in the ministry. You could allow something to disappoint you, wound you, hurt you, offend you, and pull you away from your calling. And Paul said he finished the race, he fought the fight, he completed the assignment. I want to encourage you as a leader to complete your assignment, to do it well, to do it passionately, to do it to the glory of God, that He recognizes your work that the journals of eternity will take note of your life, of your love for His body. The love that you have for the church is equal to the love that you have for the Lord Himself. <laughs> we all know that Jesus fulfilled His ministry. It is finished. He said, my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. I want to encourage you to be able to say like Jesus, it is finished. Like David, David served his generation. Put your name there, David, put your name. Served his church, his generation by the will of God. Then he slept. You are not allowed to sleep until you have served your generation. Sleep there being die. I don't give you permission to die until you fulfilled your purpose and calling. Till then, you have a work to do. <laughs> I have a few more minutes. I want to just give you a few additional things to add to what I've already shared. And I think what I've shared is pretty clear, pretty simple, pretty strong. It's going to get even more simple, but these are Leadership hints, leadership tips, leadership advice. Number one, be generous with your time. There are so many demands upon our life. And one of the biggest problems that I find in the church today, why people are not good leaders, is the busyness of life and the neglect of the things of God. Just my observation Tell me how you feel about that. 
would you say that that is an accurate statement? And so be generous with your time. Generosity is not just with your money. Of course, that is important because the heart, the treasure connected, but the heart and time, you will always find time for what you really want to do. It's just an amazing thing. Let me put it to you this way. If you love fishing, you will get up early in the morning. You will find that hour or two to be out there at the right time to get your catch. You may run. I was a surfer. My brother-in-law, I was his best man. We were friends before I even met his sister and married her. When he got married, instead of a bachelor party, we went surfing. And we were in the waves. The waves were good. Right up until about the bridal couple was getting ready to go to the church. We were still in the water far away. We jumped out of our wetsuits. We threw on our clothes. Our hair was still wet. And we rushed to the church. The bride was already waiting. You know how the groom always waits for the bride? She was waiting for the groom. (laughs) I did say to him, as a friend, dude, you don't have to go. We can just keep surfing if you really want to. Because I was the best man. (laughs) But it's weird. Even as a bridegroom, with a very, very important time, we found time to surf because we really loved what we were doing. It's an amazing principle. This is a confession of my weakness to you. You think I'm a man of power, great disciplinarian. I was highly successful as a pastor at a big church. God blessed me because I was committed, I was good. I remember getting a phone call. Pastor Leon, I really need to see you. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm fully booked for the next two weeks. I don't have a gap in my schedule. Okay, I'll, I'll do my best to hang on and make that appointment. Thanks for your understanding. I'd no sooner hung up the phone than the phone rang. It was my friend Boot Rabi. Boot means brother. It's an Afrikaans term. Uh, it's a term of endearment, but so like my brother's my but. So but Robbie calls me, says, Leon, I'm going hiking for seven days. The weather's perfect. We're going into the mountains. Just you and me, are you available? I said, just hang on a second, but I'm going to make some calls. I'm going to shift my schedule around and I'm going to join you. I hung up the phone, I rushed home, I told my wife I'm going to hike in, I threw my stuff together, and it dawned on me. I didn't have time for a man to see me, but I had time to go hike. I called my administrator, I said to reshuffle my schedule, put everything away for seven days, I'm going hiking. 
And I realized I loved hiking more than I loved God's people. Because I really, really love to get in the bush. I really, really love to have the solitude. And my schedule was fully, fully, fully booked to the moment. I couldn't fit him in, but I could fit hiking in and adjust. I learned a very important lesson that day, that if you want to do something badly enough, you will find a way. If you want to serve God badly enough, you will find the time, the effort, the energy. So, advice, be generous with your time because you love God and you love what you're doing and, the love, and you love the people that you're doing it to. Number two, stay in the spirit. We're not just leaders, we're spiritual leaders. We're spiritual leaders. We operate in the dimensions of the gifts of the Spirit, the operations of faith, and in the power of God. We cannot allow ourselves just to be good, slick, disciplined, creative, well-planned leaders. We are not like that. We are that plus so much more. We're anointed. We are God-filled. We speak in other tongues. We cast out demons. We heal the sick. We prophesy. We operate in those dimensions. Let us not be robbed of our Pentecost origins. We are the product of the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrected, glorified Christ, and we are the product of the upper room. The mighty rushing wind of God has blown in our hearts and the fire has sat on each one of us and we must not quench the Spirit. We must not grieve the Spirit. We must stay filled with the Spirit. For we are spiritual leaders. Number three, serve joyfully. Listen to this scripture. And I'll preach on it this week sometime as well. Deuteronomy 28, 47. If you do not serve the Lord your God with, God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you have received, you will serve your enemies. There is a way to serve God, and that is with joy <laughs> and enthusiasm. We don't serve God feeling like we have been cheated out, ripped off, robbed of our time, of our privilege. The other day I was preaching, and my good friend, I mean he's really a good friend, got up and he said, I know, because I was preaching on the importance of prayer. He said, if we had advertised that Leon would be speaking on the importance of prayer and the call of God to the secret place, very few people would have turned out tonight. And I thought, it's true, but how, how bad is that? Because prayer isn't a discipline. It's an invitation from God to enter into the holy of holies, to make our requests known. It's like, oh, I've got to pray. Oh, what? 
privileges I'm missing out on? What joy am I missing out on? I have to go to prayer. As if it's some burden to pray, as if we've been robbed. What the pleasures that everyone else has engaged, we have to pray. <laughs> and God gives us his checkbook and he says, Hey, I've signed all the checks, just fill out the amounts, ask what you want, and I will do it for you. <laughs> oh, woe is me, I have to spend time in prayer every day. If you're going to serve God, serve God joyfully. We should be so filled with the presence of God. Now, I will teach on this this week as one of our meetings because I believe in the anointing oil, there is the anointing of joy. There is not just the attitude of joy, there is the anointing of joy. And I'm going to preach on the difference between the two. And I want people to get filled with God's joy, not just joy. I have a sense of humor. They say when you're brilliant, you have a sense of humor. When you're a genius, you have a sense of... I just have to agree with them. I, I cannot argue the point. I have a great sense of humor, which is connected to my brilliance. I say that very humbly, of course, because I wouldn't want to appear to be arrogant. But I do. I've always had a sense of humor. My wife has a sense of humor. My kids have a sense of humor. We tease each other all the time. It's like one big game. Who can catch someone out in something? It's, it's a wonderful environment. It's a very happy environment. But there's a huge difference between having a positive, joyful attitude than having the anointing of joy. Or let's call it the joy of the Lord. There's a huge difference. I've always been funny, happy, but there's a difference between being happy and having the joy of the Lord. And as leaders, we want to have the joy of the Lord. The joy from the Lord, of the Lord, for us that comes from His presence. We do not want to serve Him with a bad attitude. We want to serve Him because His kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Psalm 102. Psalm 100 and verse 2. Sorry. Psalm 102. <laughs> That's what we theologians do. We just like take a colon and we just like drop it and we just say Psalm 102. Psalm 100 verse 2. This is awesome. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with joyful song. Serve the Lord with gladness. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Our service must be with joy. The responsibility of leadership and the pressure of that responsibility to people that are already busy having the storms of life, your own things you've got to deal with. Now you have to assume the pain, the struggles of those around you while dealing with your own could rob you of your joy. 
you could feel like, wow, I carry so much pain, suffering. I call it post-traumatic leadership stress. There is stress that comes with leadership. There is pain that comes with leadership that can rob you of your joy. My advice is to smile often, to laugh a lot. And when you see people engage with a smile, love them with warmth, even though they may have brought a heavy on you. Be joyful, be happy, be glad. Serve the Lord, serve them with joy and gladness. Number four, treat people compassionately. Have compassion. Jesus had compassion and he healed them. It's very easy to become critical of people when you reach a certain level of maturity, a certain level of stability, and you forget the process of how you got there. You measure people from where you are, not from where you used to be. Does that make sense? And I want to have compassion for people in their weakness, their frailty, their flaws. It doesn't mean that I condone, but I understand that they are but dust, that have been God-breathed, and they need a Savior. None of us in the kingdom are here because we are brilliant, because we could do it on our own. We, without Christ, are nothing. We could do nothing. We couldn't save ourselves. We are the product of the blood of Jesus. And let us remember that those that we serve are the product of the blood of Jesus. They are flawed. They fail. They make mistakes. They struggle. They are not always super spiritual as we would like them to be. But that's why we are there as leaders to inspire them, to stimulate them, to encourage them, to at times pull them aside and warn them, rebuke them lovingly, urge them, confront them. But we want to operate from compassion. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. I feel like compassion operates very closely to faith, very closely with gifts of healings and the working of miracles. If we could allow our hearts as leaders to be touched with the compassion of God. There are many scriptures on compassion. I don't have time. I've got to come in for a landing. But I'll give you two quick scriptures concerning compassion. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, compassionate, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Tender-hearted, be tender. Have high standards. Expect holiness, but be tender-hearted, lest we become Pharisees. 
1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Wow, we could write a book on that verse. There is so much just right there. And notice Peter says, by the Holy Spirit, finally all of you, <laughs> especially the leaders, first, but all of you. Could you imagine if we as the church got that one right? That would be a win. My last point. Work with the leadership and the leadership team passionately. Be a part of the team. We are not lone rangers as leaders. There are people on our left and people on our right. We're a part of a movement of people. I love team. For South Africans, team is a part of our culture. Because every kid plays team sports from the day you go to school to the day you graduate. It's compulsory. You will either play a winter team sport or a summer team sport. Everyone. But over and above that, we have what we call in our schools houses. And I don't know if you ever saw, and I, I have never seen it, but I've seen an excerpt where, what is that Roland's woman? She wrote a book on um, a kid who does magic. Um, because um, you're all Christians. Harry Potter. There's a scene where Harry Potter is in a house in the school and he's like riding a broom, playing a game with the opponent house. In our schools, we have houses, a red house, a green house, a blue house, and an orange house. And we compete for team victories, color victories. We do galas, we do athletics. Even if you're not an athlete, you will run. Even if you're not a swimmer, you will swim. You will do a swimming where you walk through the water to the other side. But everyone is engaged and people cheer their team on. So it's part of our culture. Then part of our culture is everyone goes into the army and so we become part of the team. So it's very much in built in us, where in the United States, we boast in individualism. So when we get into the church, team is sometimes a foreign concept. In South Africa, you don't have to train people to be team. It comes naturally because it's part of our culture. In America, we have to get rid of selfishness and individualism and build in the corporate expression. That's why church in America is very hard because people boast in their individualism. Where When you read the New Testament, it's let us. They gathered. They prayed. We, we teach you pray, you worship, which is true. But so much of it is the they, the corporate. And that's why I loved the meal, because this church has learned something of sitting around the table, building team, eating together, laughing together, talking together. Then from there we can pray together, we can care, we can work together. If you can't walk together 
and worship together, you'll not work together. <laughs> it's progressive. So you learn to first walk as a team, worship as a team, pray as a team, and you'll work as a team because you're connected by the Spirit. And, and so I want to encourage you to be team players. In a team, uh, you have stars. Uh, Tampa has um, um, that quarterback, um, Brady. He's, he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. But the truth is, without running backs, he, he can be the best. If they can't position themselves, that game is going nowhere. And if there isn't a strong defense protecting him, he's going to be a concussed GOAT. So even when you are highly gifted, you still recognize the strength of team. I was very aware of that in the army. I was in a landmine explosion, and our vehicle went in the air 30 feet, and we were crushed and broken, and we were a top-notch unit, and we were arrogant. But I was so glad for medics that ran in and put us together, people that took care of us at so many levels. When we ran out of ammunition, there came a, a, a little skinny runt who would never have made special ops delivering what we needed, putting his life at risk to get us what we needed. You, you see what I'm saying? You're only as good as the people around you. Even when you're a hot shot, you need someone else that may not be as good as you, but they play a significant role. And as team, you may not be the GOAT, but you can contribute to the glory of God, your unique gifting ability that will strengthen the team. The strength of the team is found in its weakest player. That's the measure of the team, not the strength of the superstar. So as leaders, I want to encourage you to build team, to understand that you all bring something to the table, that your life strengthens what Pastor Rick is doing, what the other elders and leaders are doing. Your gift actually makes them better at what they're doing. I don't call my staff staff. I call them team. If I write to my staff, I say, dear team, I don't have a file for my staff. I have a team file. I, my, my group email address to everyone in my team is team at gmrinc.org. When I meet with my directors, they are the team. When I meet with the administrators, they the team. And I say quite openly, that my ministry without my team would be a fraction of what I could accomplish. I can preach, I can pray, I can prophesy, I can travel the nations. But if I don't have people in the background getting the book orders on time, handling the graphics, doing the different things at what they do, my ministry would be 
really small and lack in. It's good because I have a good team. If it's great, it's because I have a great team. And I've learned how to flourish in the environment of team. And so in closing, I want to encourage you to be a team player, to understand that you don't have to do everything, but you've got to do your part that contributes to the whole. Stand with me. Let us pray. If I had time, I would have given you a whole lot more. But I know that you've got enough to meditate on. And I would encourage you, if you didn't take notes, to get the recording, to get a pen and paper, or if you work digitally, to write down these key points, these key scriptures, and go over them again, and pray into them, into your life, and say, okay, God, what needs to be changed in me to be this kind of a leader? Let me pray, and I'm going to hand over to Pastor Rick. Lord God, I thank you for each one in the team. I thank you for their contribution, their sacrifices, their service, their generosity of time, gifting, finance, that has allowed them to be in this room today. And I pray that through the word tonight, that their lives would be strengthened, encouraged, built up, edified, and I prophesy over them a deep sense of unity and corporate team spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.